This is the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. This episode of the podcast was recorded on Tuesday the 23rd of May, less than 24 hours after the horrific terrorist attack in Manchester, which, at the time of recording, leaves 22 people dead and 59 injured. The youngest known victim, Safi Russos, was eight years old. Listeners know that this show is about elections and politics, and we're in the middle of a general election campaign. However, when events like this happen, which are of course political in nature, it's hard to know how to respond. You neither want to gloss over what happened, or pretend that it didn't, nor do you want to cynically analyse horrific terrorist attacks like these as mere political events. Now this is the second show we've done in this sort of context after London uh, recently, and it's hard to know if we do it right. All we can say is that our thoughts are with the victims, their friends and their families. We hope that events like this will be as rare as possible in the future and that the people responsible will be brought to justice. Now this week's show, as ever, will focus on politics, elections and polling. We look at the tightening of the polls in recent days and how far the election campaign has changed since Theresa May called it. We hope you enjoy the show. But our thoughts can never be too far away from events in Manchester. For all our faults and for all our divisions as a country, we are one nation and we will stick together in these tough times. So for now, on with the show. Welcome to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters Show. My name is Kieran Pedley. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the narrowing in the polls that we've been seeing in the last few days. Is it real? What does it tell us about what's going to happen in June? I'm joined by regular guests of the show, Matt Singh from Number Cruncher Politics. Matt, welcome back. Thank you, Kieran. And as ever, fellow podcaster-in-chief, uh, Leo Barassi. Leo, welcome back to the show. In chief, that's a promotion. Thanks, Kieran. <laughs> as well. I thought I'd announce it on air, Leo. Um, well, guys, we've got lots to talk about because I think that the, uh, the last episode I did was with the guys at Business Insider where we unveiled the GFK Business Insider poll. And that had um, the Conservatives 20 points ahead. Fieldwork very much before the Conservative Party uh, manifesto launch. That's my excuse anyway. Um, but since then, things have changed quite dramatically, haven't they? And I want to talk about some of the issues around that. But Leo, before we get into the where, whys and you know, wherefore art thou on this, what have we actually seen? Uh, well, just in terms of the headlines, two weeks ago we were looking at Tory leads of 16 to 22 points. Now, if we just crudely look at the last five polls, that it's now Tory leads of 9 to 14. So it's a narrowing of about 7 to 8 points in terms of the gap between the two parties. And that's uh, that, that gap between 9 and 14 is pretty important, isn't it? I mean, if you can imagine, the, the two, there are two very different results for a hypothetical general election, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And of course, the other thing that people will be looking at is, is, is there a momentum now? Um, if the if the polls have narrowed by several points, are they going to carry on narrowing? Now, for what it's worth, I'm I'm not a believer in the concept of momentum in political polling, but people will certainly be looking at that and and wondering if it's going to carry on. I mean, I want to come on to sort of is it real in a moment, but before we do, let's talk a little bit about what's actually been happening. It feels like Matt a pretty disastrous few days for the prime minister. First time I can think of as, a, as a, something of a student of politics that where a, a manifesto has been U-turned on. That seems to be a new one for me. Yes, I mean, there was some suggestion about um, possibly something with Labour in 2005. Um, I, I'm not, um, not sure if that's right or not. But yes, I mean, certainly an extraordinary um, turn of events and a turn of uh, policy uh, by the look of it. But um, the question, as always, is how many people notice, how many people bothered by it, how many people will vote differently as a result. Those things are kind of the the unknowns, but certainly, I mean, in terms of the, the short-term politics, yes, a very bad um, 
few days for the Conservatives. I must say, to get my rant off my chest, I did watch the um, Theresa May appearance on Andrew Neil. Um, lots of people listening to this may have done. I guess we may, may debate whether or not the, the wider public did, but I thought it was awful. Half an hour of just avoiding questions, um, you know, launching a manifesto where you, you all the detail, you simply say, well, we'll consult on it afterwards. So it, it, she did seem to be um, far from this kind of... Um, immortal figure uh, that, that's in this invincible figure that she seems to have been in the last few months uh, she very much seemed on the uh, on the back foot but um, I mean Leo I'll come to you in a moment I've been looking at this ICM data um, no particular reason for picking ICM just only that they do produce weekly polls so they do have a very distinct before and after um, sort of comparison for this um, U-turn on uh, social care um, and the, data, the numbers do seem to suggest there is something in this shift so the, the ICM had the Conservatives 20 points ahead last week, 14 points ahead this week. ICM are one of the more favourable pollsters to the Conservatives, not as an organisation, of course, but just in terms of their methodology. But I was looking at some of the demographic uh, shifts, and it, there's a 16-point drop in the Conservative lead among 75 those aged 75 and over, um, a 28-point drop in their lead uh, in Wales, which actually turns into a, a lead for the Labour Party, uh, Midlands and South also. Um it does seem like the numbers make sense in terms of there being a genuine shift in opinion, but I've got a feeling you're a bit sceptical. Well, yeah, I mean, in a poll that had a, a six-point shift um, towards the Tories, then if you look at the breaks within that, then I guess you are going to see lots of different groups moving in slightly different ways and, and producing these kinds of shifts. Um, I'd be a bit worried about sort of looking into them too much and trying to build a narrative out of it. Um, I mean, the wider point that um, I think, you know, is, is, is one to discuss is whether we think this movement in the polls genuinely reflects a movement in public opinion. Um to construct the case that it doesn't, I think it is plausible that what we're seeing at the moment is somewhere between partly and largely a product of slightly different people taking part in polls. So it could be the case, bearing in mind that polls are weighted to, or, or typically are weighted to uh, things like who uh, uh, vote in the past general election. So there's, there's going to be a, a finite amount of people who say they voted Labour last time. The question is, are we getting the same kinds of people, or are we now getting people who voted Labour and, and are extremely enthusiastic about Corbyn now being more likely to take part and fill up that part of the sample? And it could it, that could therefore be, it's not that we've got more 2015 Labour voters, it's that we've got a, a somewhat unrepresentative sample of those 2015 Labour voters. And that's really hard to tell whether that's the case. Uh, and it's a plausible reason for why this shift might have happened. Um, and just one other, one other thing to back that up is, 
if you look at what is coming out from the focus groups and from what people are saying that they're hearing on the doorstep, it doesn't feel like there has been a radical shift in opinion towards Corbyn and away from May to justify a, what did I say, a a seven to eight point shift in the last couple of weeks. That feels to me like something that you would begin to see being reflected in people's responses in focus groups and generally how they're talking about stuff. I'm not saying that it's definitely not happened, but I'm a bit cautious when I see such a big shift in the numbers and no real shift in people's uh, responses outside of polls. Matt, what do you think about that? Um, I think, I mean, certainly the Labour vote appears to have gone up and it doesn't seem quite so much the Conservative vote dropping. It seems more case of Labour's vote going up. Now, I don't doubt that some of that, at least some of that move, is real because it's quite clear that there were a significant number of um, Labour people in polls saying 2015 Labour voters who had gone to don't know who are who, who are coming back. Um, so, I mean, I think... Just to, just to add something to that for the benefit of listeners that are maybe less familiar with voting intention polls, quite often, almost always, don't knows are stripped out of a voting intention poll. So if you're a Labour voter from 2015 and you're telling a pollster, I don't know how I'm going to vote in the next election, you wouldn't be accounting those headline figures that we see in the newspapers. So what you're saying is there's a, there's a chunk of those people maybe that, for whatever reason, have now said, you know what, I do know and I'm going to vote Labour. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what it looks like. I mean, uh, Leo's point about, um, about <clears throat> different types of people uh, notwithstanding. But the interesting thing is that that does tend to back up Leo's point if you look at the detail of... Um, who's doing what and where. It seems as though now the don't knows have been, the Labour 2015 to don't knows have been squeezed very hard. It also seems as though Labour people saying they're certain to vote. Um, so the sort of the turnout, um, I mean, different polls handle it in different ways, but some of them take people at their word. So that has been squeezed as well. And then also, um, I mean, uh, uh, as we've discussed before, the people who haven't voted before, who are now saying they're going to vote and vote Labour, they seem to have gone up. I mean, one way to look at it is in terms of who does Labour, in terms of the components of Labour's vote here. So last time Labour got 31% of the Great Britain vote, most polls without the don't knows give a retention rate of about 80%. So that's 26%. Um, So if you think... um, you're basically getting flows of say one point coming back from the or coming from the Conservatives, a couple of points from the Lib Dems, a point from UKIP, point from the Greens. That basically gets you back to 31%. But the increase that all polls are now showing above 31%, although all polls that have been done in the last uh, week or so, um, that does raise the question of where they're coming from. And, and obviously you, you mentioned before about the, the non-voters. Um, so it is really a question of where, you know, if this this further bounce above what Labour got last time is, is real, where, how do you actually account for that? Well, there's a couple of points that I would, I would bring in there. One is that our poll, which was, as I mentioned earlier, had the Conservatives 20 points ahead. It was before all of this Labour bounce. So even then, um, a low base for Labour. One of the tables that we had was looking at... 28% you had them on, didn't you? Yes, 28%. And one of the tables that we did publish at the beginning was around the uh, how you voted in 2015. And uh, for whatever reason, lots of other pollsters don't actually publish that 
table with the brakes. They obviously wait by it, but they don't they like to publish the brakes as well. One of the things that struck me was if you look at the current Labour vote, and as you say, we had that at 28 at the time, about one in 10 of the current Labour vote were non-voters in 2015, which I just thought was a really interesting finding. Now, um, speaking to Adam Drummond, who's been on the show before from Opinion, they weren't finding that so much. But I looked at Comrades' tables, and they also found the same thing. So this could be noise, this could be something that's there's nothing in it, but actually it could also be that there is a good chunk of people that didn't vote last time. Presumably some of those are, were too young to vote last time, but, yes, not, but not, yes. not that many. But I mean, with a short you're not going to get 10%. Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah, but, I mean, there was definitely yeah. be something in that, but also you weren't seeing that one in 10 for other parties as well. So it yeah. feels like something different in there. Now, I've, I've no idea if that's a a real thing, but it's certainly something to watch out for. Um, but the other thing I would, I would, I would ask both of you actually, because we've made a convincing argument as to why maybe these shifts feel unusual. But could it be the case that actually what was unusual was the Labour poll rating before, which had so many uh, Labour voters from 2015 saying "don't know" and being stripped out? Actually, this is more like what PAR should be in a universe where the Lib Dems and UKIP are no longer really in the running, or, or I guess Lib Dems are still no longer in the running, and now UKIP are. I mean, what do you think about that, Leo? There's a really interesting analogy with Bill Clinton's numbers in the mid-90s. So when the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke, his approval rating went up by 10 points. And everyone was baffled by this, and and the sort of there was uh, you know not not much in the way of good explanation. But uh, an academic, uh, uh, really interesting academic analysis of it afterwards has has reckoned that what was going on is that before the scandal, most people who weren't really paying attention to politics were sort of. Uh, a bit, a bit sort of jarred around by news events um, generally and were, were sort of losing a bit of favourability to Clinton. When the Lewinsky scandal broke and suddenly Clinton was in the news and they were paying attention to it a lot more, they thought more seriously about him than they had done for a while and thought, actually, I quite like him. Uh, you know, he's my man. And their view then went back to essentially what its natural state was at a time where they're seriously thinking about him. Now, you could argue and... This conflicts with what I said a few minutes ago. You could argue that actually what's going on at the moment is Labour's poll rating is returning to more like what its natural state would be at a time when people are seriously thinking about politics. And when Labour was sort of bumbling around in the mid-20s, that was people not seriously thinking about it and just kind of uh, think, uh, saying, oh, yeah, I, I don't like Labour. But now the question has been raised, uh, who are you going to vote for seriously in this election that's about to come up? They are thinking about it properly and thinking, well, I am a Labour voter, that's what I'm going to do. And so it might be that actually the current numbers are more like the real ones and the, other, and the old numbers are were, were never really going to be borne out. Mm. I'm looking at some of the numbers from our um, opinion survey, uh, Polling Matters opinion survey, which asks people how closely they are following the election, which is not necessarily a perfect measure. But actually, back in a month ago, back in April, 61% said they were closely following the election. Now it's um, 63%. So, <laughs> so not, not, a huge, not a huge shift. But I'm just going through the numbers because I've not really looked at them very closely. So if Labour, it's uh, 66% um, last month. And then, drum roll, I haven't actually looked at these before. And then now, it's uh, 74%. So actually, Labour voters big up ticking them engaging, so that would back up. A yeah, lot of what we you say. might that potentially be backing up that uh, the people who were 
saying that they're going to vote Labour in poll are the unrepresentatively high engagement people. Mm. So perhaps, who knows, perhaps that's actually well, ev- evidence for the um, these are not typical Labour voters who are taking part in the polls now. I mean, you know, choose choose your weapons, uh, listeners, who, depending on which you would prefer. Um, I guess that people listening to this will, will see that there's obviously a debate to be had academically and politically about what the polls are saying. I suppose what they all want to know, Matt, is what's going to happen. Now, we put, we're recording this on Tuesday, um, but when people are listening to this, it will be Wednesday evening as usual. And they probably have already seen this analysis as a result. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't, depending on what they've been doing today. But you've... Um, you shot to fame, shall we say, in 2015 by calling the polls wrong and, and, and the, the day before, and they obviously turned out to be wrong. And not only did you call them wrong, but you called the actual result pretty pretty much spot on. So um, I am, I'm awaiting with te- on tenterhooks as to what you think it will be this time. So I guess before you do that, though, please explain a bit about, for those that maybe have, aren't familiar with your work, what it is you do beyond looking at the polls and then maybe what, what, what your analysis is showing this time. Sure. So the model essentially has, it takes into account three main things. So one of them is historical accuracy. So the overall trend in general for anyone who's looked at polling and how it's behaved over the last 50 years or so, the overwhelming bias has tended to be that the Conservatives do better than the polls say, Labour tends to do worse. Now, There is another trend, uh, which was kind of not hugely relevant last time because the polls were indicating it being very close. But when a governing party is doing very, very well and appears to be heading for a a huge re-election landslide, they tend to get diminishing returns from big poll leads. So, in fact, if you look, even if you leave 1983 out of this, you you still get um, the chart that you'll see in um, Thursday's FT is a, a... a curved line, not a, a straight line, um, as all of the charts did last time. So you tend to get these diminishing returns. So those two things, the cons- traditional conservative underestimation and the diminishing returns, largely net off. So you end up getting something um, relatively neutral there. The second thing that it takes into account um, is uh, how people perceive the leaders. Now, Obviously, given recent events, there's um, a bit of a question mark over whether the views people were giving on Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn in relative terms were, uh, you know, are still going to be the same way. Um, there, there's only been one poll done after the manifesto launch on this, not um, after the U-turn, but after the actual manifesto, her rating in that poll actually went up. Um, whether the... the um, the events of Monday will have any um, further impact remain to be seen. So that's something to keep an eye on. But at the moment, um, in the latest um, Maury satisfaction rating survey, the gap on the satisfied measure, um, which tends to be the strongest predictor of, um, of voting intention, that was still 24 points. So Theresa May was on 55%, Jeremy Corbyn on 31%. So that um, indicates not a 24-point margin, it's, it's, it's nearer to half that, um, but it does still um, consistent with a, a big um, conservative lead. And then the final part of it, which is quite an important part, because this does not rely at all on any kind of polling. This is the local elections component. And this has had to be revised slightly from the last time because we've had a short parliament, so we don't have local elections all the way through. If you look at how governing parties do in 
rounds of local elections, they generally tend to do worse than you'd expect them in a in, in a general election. So typically, I mean, the average in the last parliament, for example, was that Labour won by uh, two or three points, which pointed towards the, the Conservatives winning by roughly the amount that they did. Now, if you look this time, <coughs> certainly in, in the the set of local elections that we've just had, both of the projections of the national vote, so extrapolating the local elections to the whole of Great Britain as if all councils have been contested, both of those had the Conservatives winning 39-28. Now, that's basically the same margin that Margaret Thatcher had in 1982 during the Falklands War, and considerably more the margin she had a few weeks before the 1983 election and, and more also than before the 1987 election. So that again fits with a winning margin that's bigger than the 11%. So the, that measure actually points towards something that's more towards what the polls were showing earlier in the um, in the campaign, not the sort of nine points we've had in, in, in a couple of the latest polls. So you... you Put all of these together, and um, this time, unlike last time, I've actually done a composite index, which takes them all together, and you can actually see the um, how well that thing as a whole fits. You basically end up getting from that something in the mid-teens. So, so this is a Conservative victory of around 15 A, a Conservative lead in the popular vote of around, well, give or take, this has its error band like anything, but yes, something in that order. Now... The question that um, people will be asking, as, I, as I've said, is do um, events during the campaign you know, of, of, of any nature have an effect? If we look back to these measures historically, and not just the, the putting them all together, but even the individual parts of it, like the local elections, which in most cases finish a year before the election, the fact that these predict the results so strongly kind of suggests that even though campaigns and events during campaigns can have a short-term impact it suggests that the event that they the effect that they eventually have on the outcome is rather more limited than political junkies often tend to assume so it would be you know utterly foolish to say it can't have any impact because they don't but history suggests that the effect might not actually be um, that great but as i say continue to watch um, how the leaders are perceived particularly um, Theresa May after the, the events and also Jeremy Corbyn because he's, his ratings have been going up um, that is the lie of the land at the moment with uh, two and a half weeks to go So I have I have one pretty basic question on this then, so I guess that's the lie of the land with two and a half weeks to go you kind of alluded to that in your last statement but to what extent could that theoretically change? For example Ipsos Mori are probably going to have uh, one more poll out I'd imagine before election day if that poll showed a dramatic shift in the satisfaction ratings for whatever reason, mm. uh, with Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May, I think you alluded to something like a 25-point gap mm. at the moment or something yeah. like that. If that gap became 50, 10 or 15 points, I wouldn't suggest that Corbyn would overtake Theresa May, mm. but let's say it narrowed consistently yeah. for whatever reason. Would that then suddenly change what you're saying in your model, do you think? Or is the fact that the other things like local elections mm. or historic poll error in there mean that really that 15-point that with all the margin of error that it has is pretty much set at this stage. Uh, it's, it's not set. No, I mean if, certainly if um, if the the leads in the the polls narrow, and certainly if the leader ratings change, then then it is subject to change. I mean that's not 
set in stone. That's sort of how things look at the moment. So, um, and bear in mind also that there has been, I, I mean, I think for all we said about how polls should be reported, the, the reporting of polls, uh, well, certainly in the, the, the impression you get from Twitter, at least, is quite, has been quite poor in the sense that there's been an enormous amount of attention on these polls showing nine-point leads, um, but relatively little on the ICM poll showing a 14-point lead. Someone should start a podcast. Someone really, should put start to, to, really, uh, to actually to really really cut through to, the noise <laughs> to cut through. But the, the the point is, it's not saying that the polls are wildly wrong. It's suggesting that possibly there's been a bit of excessive volatility, mm. and at the moment, the true picture is probably at the top end of what the polls are saying. It's not like it's even outside the range of of all of the polls. Although it does suggest ICM are perhaps the most right uh, at this stage. But we'll, I guess we'll come to that yeah, in the future. Uh, yeah. Leo, Leo's, what, what's your um, what's your reaction to some of this? Yeah, yeah I suppose um, on the, the sort of late, the, your your question there about what happens if in Maury's last poll the leader ratings have shifted quite a bit. Um, so I did, uh, I replicated one small part of, Ma- of Matt's model before he did this, um, just because I was getting impatient and wanted to know <laughs> what the answer was first. Um, and as part of doing that, I ended up looking at how leader ratings historically have changed between Maury's penultimate poll and his last poll. And they really tend not to change by very much. Um, what we saw just now with a small swing towards Corbyn in terms of the satisfaction with him in relation to the satisfaction with May was somewhere around the median of how much um, leader ratings changed. So I think it would be unprecedented for it to change as much as you just suggested as a sort mm. of 10 to 15 points. But actually, for uh, saying it's unprecedented... Maybe that's not a completely ridiculous thing to suggest could happen. I mean, we should remember that this is a pretty unusual circumstance to have an election only uh, two years since the last one, to have a prime minister who's been in post for such a short time, a leader of the opposition who's been in post for a relatively short time. So you could argue, perhaps, that opinion is... It's reasonable that opinion would be particularly unusually volatile at this point because... By now, by the time of an election, normally people have had much longer to make their mind up about leaders. So I'm not sure that this is the case, but it's a reason why, again, I might be wrong to say that um, the true poll, the true opinion is closer to 15 points than it is to 10 points, because it might genuinely be that after a couple of weeks of exposure to, to Corbyn, people's opinion genuinely has shifted towards him because it was less fixed. than. Well, it I, would add, I would add something to that, which is that it may very well be that I think where I'm coming from is that it may very well be that as we sit here now, a 15-point lead is the likely outcome, but the nature of you know, think things can basically change between now and, and polling day. I just want to bring in some uh, polling matters opinion numbers uh, from our regular series that we have with them. Now, this isn't a great question, but it is, it is interesting just in terms of the results. We asked, has your opinion of the following party leaders improved, worsened or stayed the same during this general election campaign? And in the spirit of the new age of a two-party system that has reasserted itself, I'm only going to focus on Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn. Now, Theresa May's numbers, and this was a poll done over this weekend, so right bang in the middle of the problems the Conservatives have had. Improved, 20 points. Stay the same, 37. Worsened, 35. That is a minus 15 rating. Um, Jeremy Corbyn, improved, 24. Uh, Stay the same, 40. 
uh, worsened 28, so a minus 4 rating. So <laughs> neither are particularly good. Um, we all know, by the way, uh, don't we, that you know, Theresa May starts from a higher base than Jeremy Corbyn. But still, evidence there that the opinions are not are shifting in a bad way for Theresa May, perhaps. Um, but another another stat that I want to bring out, which is one that I think is really, really important for reasons I'll come to, is this idea of who would you rather negotiate Brexit? So a specific question. Who do you trust more to negotiate Britain's withdrawal from the EU? Right now, uh, as of this weekend, Theresa May wins with 45%. Jeremy Corbyn, 19. Don't know, 14. Neither, 22. Now, this has changed thus. Theresa May was 51 in back in April, literally a month ago. Jeremy Corbyn was 13, and I don't know, and neither are exactly the same, believe it or not. So this is essentially, uh, Theresa May has gone down six points, Jeremy Corbyn has gone up six points, but ultimately, Theresa May is still more than twice as likely to be the preferred um, person to negotiate Britain's withdrawal from the EU. That's something we'll definitely repeat closer to polling day, but a couple of different stats in there, really. I mean, Matt, what do you make of... Um, what do you make of some of that? I guess uh, we'll come on to what might happen in terms of seats in a moment. But it does seem to be an element of narrowing there. But I guess it's probably those uh, numbers on Brexit are a reminder that Theresa May is still in a very strong position. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a bit of uh, something for everyone in, in, uh, in all of that lot. Um, <laughs> I aim to please. Well, yeah, I'm sure uh, most people will find something to, to, to spin their way. I mean, yeah, certainly in terms of the, the big lead that Theresa May has on Brexit, I mean, I, 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 Brexit is a favourable issue. Um, for her and for the Conservatives, there's no, um, there's no controversy about that, um, and the narrowing. Yes, fair yes. enough. I mean, I, I mean, as I was saying earlier, I'm not suggesting that Labour's improvement is is not real. I mean, it looks, you know, to it is. It's the question of whether um, public opinion has actually moved as much as the polls. Um, but I, I've no doubt that that it's real. So questions like that moving a bit more towards Corbyn, I, I think, fair enough. Um, on the opinion gone up gone down um i mean as we were discussing off air i mean there's kind of a few people would ask uh, uh ask questions about that sort of wording um but yeah i mean again that does show um study progress for corbyn which is you know consistent with everything else it also shows Theresa may has taken a hit and whether that's again it's all relative leo isn't it in terms of your competitive yeah. position but it yeah. still does seem like yeah, she's had a bad week I think I want to emphasise Matt's point now. I really, uh, sorry, Kieran, don't like this kind of question um, because when you ask people, has your, how has your opinion changed um, or do you like this more or like it less or whatever, they tend to answer in terms of their fixed opinion rather than how it's changed. So if you say, is your opinion of this person improved or worse? And they tend to answer it in terms of, do you like or not like this this person? But they're not doing so, that, are they? Well, so specifically that's, on Theresa so that's May's why numbers. I find this really interesting, that um, doing this, before I saw the numbers, I thought this was going to be Theresa May, 40%, 50% say it's improved, Jeremy Corbyn, 15% say it's improved. The fact that that hasn't happened on the question that normally yields exactly that result, I think makes this an even better result for Corbyn than the fact that he is marginally ahead of Theresa May. Um, I mean, partly, look, I'm coming into this with a strong prior that I think le- that Labour is going to lose this election badly. Um, and I think this is the kind of thing that slightly challenges my prior. Mm. And it's important for for me and other people like me who look at, look at the polls at the moment and think that they are overstating Labour to look at some of these questions behind the horse race and say, well, hang on, actually, that's that's a pretty good question for, for Labour if... Uh, people people are saying that their opinion has improved 
um, you know, what, uh, 24% say improve, 40% say the same, only 28% say their opinion of Corbyn has worsened. That's not bad. That's a lot better than I would have mm. expected. Although we should say on the Brexit question, 94% of Conservatives say Theresa May is the best person to negotiate Brexit. So not much softness there in the Conservative Right, and 13% of Labour voters say that Theresa May would be best. Only 50%, 53% say Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, that's really bad. But bear in mind, we, when we're sort of back to a two-party system and you've got one party on... Um, well, I'm not sure if there's VI in this poll, but I mm. mean, the VI polls have shown... I mean, even the worst ones of the Conservatives had them on 43%. And some of them close to fifty. I mean, that eighty-nine percent of Tories that actually represents quite a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, although and that's probably amongst all voters rather than likely. That's as much everybody. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly um, some important numbers in there. I mean, let's. One of the other questions people constantly ask is, well, what does this mean? Because we all know that vote share does not mean seats. It's something that you always get some smart aleck who always wants to point this out. Well, of course, vote share doesn't mean seats, but yeah, we do know that it's still important. Well, I imagine someone's on Twitter, like listening to this in real time, and actually like pointing out already before you said so. Yeah, which in which case they're, they're going to look really embarrassed now. Um, but Matt, I mean, so with, we know that there's, there's this term of universal, you know, uniform national swing. Um, you know, one of the ways we try and extrapolate what happens in a general election from vote share is to take essentially the gap last time, what was it, seven points. If it's 15 points, that's a four-point swing. If you apply that to every, every seat, you get X. Um, we all know that's difficult. Uh, I'm sure you'll explain a bit about why that's probably not likely to happen. But let's say for argument's sake, Labour could lose by 15 or they could lose by, I have to be precise, but eight or ten, you know, half of that or something like that. What are the implications of those different potential permutations? Right. So, I mean, in terms of um, uniform swing, quite often you can get a situation like last time where you get some wildly different swings between different areas, particularly because of all the things that were going on. I mean, you've got Labour seats swinging toward, generally Labour seats swinging more Labour and Tory seats swinging more Tory. Um, and But certainly big variations and then a national swing between the two parties of like a quarter of a percent which I think was the smallest since 1850 something um it was it was very little swing at all um I mean the problems in terms of of uniform swing you often do get different swings in different types of seats um so this time for example one big thing the UKIP is UKIP vote has collapsed and it might not have gone to the same place or in the same proportions everywhere, but it certainly, you know, collapsed quite strongly. And the UKIP vote was not even across the country. There's, there were more, for example, there were more UKIP voters in marginal seats, which is uh, quite significant if more of it's gone to the Conservatives. I mean, in terms of different um, different permutations, I mean, if you're looking purely in terms of a uniform swing, so last time the Conservatives got a narrow majority on uh, 6.6% lead. So, you know, as a rough rule of thumb, if you're talking purely in a uniform Great Britain-wide swing, um, the Conservatives need about a six-point lead for an overall majority. They need about a 15-point lead for an over, for a 100-seat overall majority um, on the basis of a uniform swing. However, there is not just theoretical evidence in terms of the UKIP um, drop-off and the fact that there are more UKIP votes in, in, in a lot of the marginals. Um, there's also actual hard evidence in, or evidence in terms of um, cross breaks within the polls that specifically focus on the marginal seats. So ICM tend to, um, so for most of the campaign, they've actually given breaks mm. by marginal seats. Now, the change in those, the trend in those has been much more 
um, has been pretty much in line with the trend in, in the national voting numbers. But So uh, just to put numbers to that, yeah. ICM's recent poll that had a 14-point lead also had yeah. the Conservatives ahead 14 points in the marginals. Uh, 14, is it four, was it 14 points? or Oh, sorry, that, so that's Conservative and Labour health yeah, marginals. Yeah, so yeah. there's also a cross-break for uh, marginal seats that Labour hold... Um, with a majority of under 15%, mm-hmm. and that's over, and most of those are over the Tories, but some over other parties. Now, people were saying um, across the that I, I think in those seats they were only ahead by three, and people were talking about that as some huge, great, um, you know, some, some really good result. But remember, these are seats that Labour hold, and so the I actually looked at those seats, the average Labour majority in those is about 9%. Mm. So if the Conservatives are ahead by 3%, that's a 6% swing. So that would be like, say, a national poll of 18.5 points lead. So it it has come down. It's not looking like a sort of 1931-type demolition job, but a 6% swing is still a landslide. So, I mean, looking at the margin... And other polls have done this as well. I mean, looking at um, Labour doing worse in seats that they hold... Um, and and other people that have have done this and and the MRP models and uh, like Ashcroft got and, mm. and so on. I mean, certainly the, the, the for various reasons, um, particularly that the Conservatives are doing better in the north and not really piling up votes in in the south. So they're not really picking up votes in London where there are some modules, but they're also not piling on votes in the rest of the south where they hold virtually yeah. every other seat. So the net of all of this does seem to be conservative outperformance in the marginals. So when you think about the sort of majority these numbers might translate into, it's probably looking better for them than if you go into that uh, website with a swingometer. I'll give a final word to Leo then because we're running out of time. But um, Leo, I guess on this podcast there's been uh, lots to chew over and I guess something for everyone really. I guess on the one hand it does seem to be a sort of slightly sobering analysis of the idea that Labour are coming back in the polls. But on the other hand, as you mentioned earlier, unprecedented time, opinion does seem to be shifting a bit towards Labour. So uh, maybe in the last two weeks, if Labour really makes the most of that, then it might not be the disaster uh, people were expecting. And what's your sort of final thoughts today? I would look at two things. Um, So given that it's really hard to tell whether the polls are sampling an unrepresentative set of Labour enthusiasts or not, I would want to be keeping a very close watch on what's coming out of the focus groups. So what's um, being said on the Huffington Post groups, I think, being done by Edelman, James Morris, um, what uh, Lord Ashcroft is reporting in his focus groups. Um, Are we starting to see actual people um, in qual saying that they like Corbyn uh, more than they did before? I think that would, or perhaps like May less. Uh, I think that would begin to persuade me that um, the the race really has narrowed as much as it, as it seems to. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, the there seems to be a lot of anecdotal evidence that the Labour leadership strategy is to rack up uh, a decent vote share in order to make the case after the election that Corbyn has done better than Miliband. So perhaps exactly what Matt's talking about is is reflecting a conscious strategy of it's a lot easier to get Labour voters in places that Labour's already winning. So mm. let's target those. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe maybe we're overthinking this and uh, it has been reported that that's what the leadership's game is. And this is reflecting them being effective in doing that. 
Well, there are rumours that the uh, campaign may be suspended for a number of days, so I guess we'll see where we are this time um, next week. Um, but a big thanks to Matt Singh and to Leo Barassi for your time. That's all we've got time for for this week's episode of the Political Betting Polling Matters podcast. As ever, if you like what you hear, please do like our Facebook page, share us on social media, and maybe even give us a nice friendly uh, rating or comment on iTunes or other podcast apps. It all helps get the uh, podcast's uh, name out there, and we very much appreciate it. But for now, thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more episodes in the coming weeks.